0: And now we turn to the word of God. I want to begin today by giving you five brief stories. Five little scriptural vignettes, I guess we could call them. And I encourage you to listen very closely to these five brief stories. But as you listen, and by the way, the children can be dismissed. I forgot to say that. I'd love it if they stayed for the preaching, but they can go to their classes. As you listen to these five stories, you may find yourself wondering why is he telling these particular stories? I promise that all will be revealed a little later on, so hang in there. So here goes, five vignettes, some of which, if you've been in the church for a number of years, some of these may be very familiar to you. The first story concerns a very elderly couple who experienced the joy of having a child in their old age. Abraham and Sarah welcomed Isaac into their lives when, for all intents and purposes, they were way past the age when most people normally have kids. But God, you see, promised this child Isaac to them. Isaac was the one upon whom the covenant to the nations depended. But then suddenly, if we remember the story, without warning, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in order that God might test Abraham. And amazingly, Abraham complied with God's wish. He brought Isaac out to the place where Isaac was to be sacrificed. And the Bible says that Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place where Isaac was to be offered up. And Abraham was willing to, to follow through with it. Many of us know the end of the story. God provided a ram in the thicket for the offering, and Isaac was spared. So that's vignette number one of five. Vignette number two happened sometime later in the history of the Hebrew people. Vignette number two should be fresh in our minds if you've been with us as we've been walking through the book of Exodus. What happened was that God worked a miraculous, mighty, wonder-working deliverance for the Hebrew people. He had rescued them. He redeemed them by a mighty hand from their slavery to the nation of Egypt. He brought the Hebrews through the Red Sea but drowned the army of Pharaoh in the same Red Sea. After that astonishing delivery... The Hebrew people found themselves at the the foot of Mount Sinai. Now God, having delivered them, was going to declare to them his covenant. God at Mount Sinai was going to formalize the relationship that he had with them already. And he told them to be ready for this. God, in this dramatic moment, was going to, quoting from the Bible again, to come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. That's what the scripture says. There's vignette number two. Vignette number three occurred yet later, in the days of David. David, I love David, he had been running like crazy from crazy King Saul. Finally, David decided that the most prudent course of action would be to flee to the region of the Philistines so that Saul would stop chasing him. So David ended up sort of defecting to the Philistines for a time. And the king of Philistia gave David, at that point, he gave David the Philistine city of Ziklag, Ziklag became home to David for a season. During that season, David showed in a very shrewd manner that he could fight for Philistine causes. It's a very interesting story. In fact, he ended up fighting with the Philistine army at a place called Aphek. But there at Aphek, now the Philistine leaders became a little wary of David. They weren't sure that it was such a good idea to have a Hebrew like David fighting for the Philistines. What if David and his men suddenly, in the thick of the battle, turned their swords on the Philistine army? And so they sent David packing at that point from Aphek back to Ziklag. David and his men traveled back to Ziklag, if we remember the story, when they got there they found that the city had been ravaged by the Amalekites and their loved ones had been taken hostage. And it's at that point in the story where David acts almost like a one-man wrecking crew. He went and he pursued the Amalekites, defeated them completely, took back the plunder that they had stolen. Once back in Ziklag, David then distributed the plunder to his friends. So that's vignette number three. Again, we're going somewhere with with this. Just to review our three stories before we go on to the fourth, we have, again, Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice. We have the Hebrew people arriving at Mount Sinai to receive the covenant. And we have David finding Ziklag destroyed and then defeating the destroyers, taking back plunder from them, and giving the plunder to his friends. Well, the fourth vignette of five happened in the 8th century B.C. You see, there was this guy named Jonah. Oh, Jonah. (laughs) This guy named Jonah who was commanded by God to go and minister in Assyria at a place called Nineveh, but Jonah disobeyed in a flagrant sort of a way and boarded a ship to Tarshish instead. While on board that ship, God sent a tumultuous storm. The ship began began tossing and it began reeling in the waves and a frantic conversation happened on board the ship. Finally, it was determined that it was Jonah who had brought all this trouble on everyone because of his disobedience to Almighty God. And so Jonah was eventually tossed overboard. He got all wet. And the ship's crew was saved, and God then sent a giant fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah lived there in the guts of the fish for days before he was hurled alive, quite literally, onto the beach. That is story vignette number four. So again, we have Isaac as a sacrifice, Israel receiving covenant at Sinai, David taking plunder, giving it to his friends, Jonah being swallowed by the fish. The fifth and final story or vignette happened also in the 8th century BC, like the story of Jonah. In the fifth story, The relationship between the northern kingdom of Israel and God had become very sour. Israel's spiritual life had wrought in it. They were spiritually very, very sick. They had perpetually refused the love of God and had disobeyed God's commandments and soon the powerful nation of Assyria would come and take over their land. The northern kingdom of Israel would fall to the mighty Assyrian army. Well, it was into this situation that the prophet Hosea prophesied. He called Israel to repent and to turn back to God. He held out hope for revival, hope for new life if Israel would only repent. So there you have it. Five vignettes. Abraham offering Isaac, Israel at Mount Sinai receiving the covenant, David taking back plunder, Jonah being swallowed by the fish, and Hosea preaching hope and new life, if Israel would repent. And you're asking... What in the world do these five stories have to do with Easter? I want to suggest to you this morning that all five of them have very much to do with Easter, with the reason that we've come to celebrate here this morning. And to see this, if you have a Bible, and you do in the pew in front of you, turn with me to the 15th chapter of Corinthians. Corinthians. I want to try to explain to you how those five stories that we've rehearsed just very briefly, how those five stories relate directly to the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul talks about the gospel he had been preaching to the church. This is a fantastic chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter in the New Testament, or one of them. In verse 3, he says that he had delivered to the Corinthian people, as of first importance, what he had received. And then Paul describes the gospel he had been preaching. His gospel was... That Christ died for our sins, hallelujah, in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and then really pay attention to that next part. Paul says that part of his gospel was that Christ had been raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, Paul preached that Christ Jesus had been raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Notice carefully that Paul uses the plural of Scripture so that it's Scriptures. Christ had been raised from death back to life in accordance with several parts of Scripture, in accordance with various different Scriptures. The question we are asking this morning is, what Scriptures exactly, Paul, are you talking about? Where in the Bible, in what places of the Old Testament, did it say that the Messiah would be raised on the third day? Now, friends, this is a significant question this Easter morning, because unfortunately, we have no explicit verse in the Old Testament that Paul was reading as his scriptures, no explicit verse that says something obvious or clear, like Messiah will come back to life on day three. We don't have that. So what scriptures is Paul talking about here? I want to suggest to you that what Paul has in mind here, at the very least what he has in mind here, are the five vignettes that we opened with today. And to see this, let's go go back to the texts where those five stories are found. First to Genesis 22. Turn to Genesis 22 right at the beginning of your Bible with me. There we have that story of Abraham offering Isaac as a burnt offering. Notice carefully what the writer of Genesis says, beginning at at verse 3 of Genesis 22. He says this, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. So preparations are being made there for the sacrifice that had been commanded by God. Last part of verse 3. Abraham cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. On the third day. After that notice is given, the action then ensues. Abraham goes to offer up Isaac. He's prepared to do it. But God intervenes at the last minute and spares Isaac and a ram is offered instead. All this happened on the third day, according to verse four. Note what happens in the story then. Isaac was as good as dead. But there had been A climactic reversal. Isaac went from near death to life. Isaac was raised, if you want, from the sacrificial death altar to life on the third day. I think when the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.4 that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that Paul has in mind the pattern in the Old Testament of climactic reversals on the third day, deathliness being reversed into life on the third day, like the story of Isaac. Jesus was literally dead, amen, on Good Friday, the first day. On day two, Jesus rested in the tomb, Holy Saturday. On day three, Easter Sunday, Jesus reanimated physically. He was raised to life. All right, so we've dealt with vignette number one and its relationship to Easter. What about vignette number two? where we had the Hebrew people delivered miraculously from Egypt, now standing at the foot of Mount Sinai to receive the covenant. Let's go to Exodus 19 now to meditate on this. Now, Exodus 14, we remember, Exodus 14 gives us that staggering story of God splitting the sea in two, so that the people could cross on dry land. But here at Exodus 19, the people now have arrived at Sinai. God is preparing them for the reception of his covenant. He says to Moses in verse 10, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for what? For the third day. For on... The third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Do you see this? Remember that the people here, these descendants of Isaac, who had been given life on the third day, we remember from Genesis 22, these descendants of Isaac had just come through a deathly experience of their own, a near-death experience. They had almost perished at the Red Sea, if not for God's wonder-working power. And then they had to survive in the wilderness after that with very little food or water. God had provided there as well to keep them alive. Now on this third day, they would receive something monumental. The life-giving covenant of God. They would pass here from death, Red Sea and wilderness, to life. The life-giving covenant was now coming. The blackness of oppression and cruelty and enslavement to Pharaoh was now in the past. The near-death experience at the sea was behind them. Now on the third day, God would breathe life to them by giving them his covenant. We might say, that the death of Jesus and his rising on the third day consummated a new covenant. And we are the people of the new covenant that has been brought about by the crucified, risen Jesus Christ. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures... I think he has Exodus 19 in mind as well. Exodus 19 is one of the scriptures that Paul is thinking of here. But we must hasten on to our third vignette. What does David and Ziklag and plunder have to do with Easter? (laughs) If you have your Bible, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 27 to see this. 1 Samuel chapter 27 the beginning of 1 Samuel 27 has David making the decision to flee to Philistia to escape crazy king Saul. At verse 6, the Philistine king grants the city of Ziklag to David, and David makes his home there for a season. Then over at 1 Samuel 29... David's presence with the Philistine army is questioned by some of the nervous Philistine generals. David is sent home from Aphek, where they are fighting, back to his town of Ziklag. And then we come to 1 Samuel 30. Notice the first verse. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag, when? On the third day. It was on the third day that they noticed that the town had been burnt by the Amalekites and their family members had been taken hostage. Verse 9 of 1 Samuel 30 has David pursuing the Amalekites. Verse 17 has David routing the Amalekites. Verse 18 has David recovering what the Amalekites had taken. And verse 26 has David returning to Ziklag distributing spoil to his friends. It was on the third day when David found Ziklag burned. If he'd been there when the city was attacked, who knows? He may have died. And his loved ones could have been killed, but they were spared. David recovered them. Coming to Ziklag like this had been a near death Experience, But life came when David made things right, when he went and defeated the attackers, recovered the plunder, distributed it to his friends. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus, descendant of David, spoke of a strong man being attacked by one stronger than the strong man. He spoke of the the one stronger than the strong man overcoming the strong man and taking the spoil. Like David had done with the Amalekites, let the cross, Jesus would overcome the strong man, Satan, Jesus would plunder Satan and defeat him soundly. When Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, and when Jesus then ascended in victory and triumph to heaven, Ephesians 4.8 tells us that the triumphant Jesus did what? Led a, a host of captives, he's the descendant of David, leading a host of captives and giving gifts to men. Jesus, the greater than David, divided the plunder of his victory amongst us, his church. Amen? When Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.4 that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, I think Paul here also had in mind that story from 1 Samuel along with Genesis 22 and along with Exodus 19. Well, what about our fourth vignette? Our fourth vignette this morning was the story of Jonah and the fish. Great story. What does that story have to do with Easter? Turn over to Jonah chapter 1 in order to see this. If you hit Obadiah, take a right. And if you hit Micah, take a left. Jonah, sandwiched there between Obadiah and Micah, So after Jonah's disobedient jaunt on the boat, he's thrown overboard, swallowed by the great fish. The last sentence of Jonah 1.17, of Jonah 1, which is Jonah 1.17, says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then the last sentence of Jonah 2 tells us that the fish eventually vomited a living Jonah out of itself onto dry land. And by the way, the word hurl is a motif that runs through Jonah. And the fish literally hurls Jonah onto the beach. Don't think about that too much as you're having your Easter lunch. <laughs> Jonah had a near-death experience in that fish. To be sure, he did. I mean, who survives being swallowed by a giant fish? Jonah did. He went from death to life when that fish deposited him after three days onto dry land. Well, Jesus, before his crucifixion, used the story of Jonah to prophesy his own death and resurrection. In Matthew 12.40, Jesus said, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And there, of course, Jesus is talking about his coming at the time, his coming death, burial, and resurrection to life. It would be akin to Jonah's experience. I think when Paul speaks of Jesus being raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, he has the pattern of Jonah 1 and Genesis 22 and Exodus 19 and 1 Samuel 30 in mind. The deathly experience Of Jesus Christ would be followed on the third day by life just as the pattern was in so many stories of the Old Testament well our fifth and final vignette concerned Hosea's prophecy we said that Israel in the time of Hosea was off the rails really concerning their relationship with God their lack of attention. To the health of the relationship, in fact, was causing God now to send Assyria in, in order to exile his people. But Hosea held out hope, as we said, that if Israel would just repent, if she would turn back to God, obey him, accept his love, then things could be restored. They could go from death to life, as it were. And it's Hosea chapter 6 where we see this. Hosea, speaking to the people of Israel, says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. Verse 2. Oh, listen to verse 2. After two days, two days, two days, He will revive us. On the third day, amen and hallelujah, He will raise us up. Did you hear that? On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Talk about an Easter verse from the Old Testament. I think Paul had Hosea 6-2 in mind when he wrote of Jesus being raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Life could come to a repentant Israel. Israel. Resurrection could come to them on the third day following the deathliness of their disobedience which caused their defeat by Assyria and their exile. I want to wind this toward a conclusion by asserting once again that when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 4, that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. What Paul had in mind there was this pattern that we have seen this morning, this pattern of reversal from death to life on the third day that is evidenced so clearly and plainly in so many places of the Old Testament. Christ was raised in Paul's... He was trained Jewish under Gamaliel. Paul was raised or sorry, Christ was raised in Paul's mind in accordance with Genesis 22, life coming to Isaac on day three after his near-death experience. For Paul, Jesus was raised in accordance with Exodus 19, where Israel had passed through the shadow of death to life and covenant with Almighty God on the third day at the foot of Mount Sinai. That pattern of death to life is taken up and fulfilled and consummated in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised on the third day also in accordance with the text like 1 Samuel chapter 30 where David and the people went from a deathly experience to a life-giving victory where David is distributing gifts to men. Jesus was raised in accordance with the pattern found in Jonah 1.17, where Jonah was in the dark bowels of the fish for three days, long enough to be dead, but then given miraculous life as he's spewed out onto land. And Jesus was raised in accordance with Hosea 6.2, where resurrection life was promised on the third day after the dark death experience of judgment and exile. Jesus was raised, friends, in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with at least those five scriptural stories and possibly many more that we could have gone to this morning but didn't. There had been a long-standing pattern in Israel's history of resurrection on the third day and Jesus himself friends Jesus himself now he understood that the goal of his mission the completion of his mission would be that moment on day 3 when he rose from the dead he says as much in Luke 13:32 when he says this that on the third day i finish my course or in some English versions on the third day I will reach my goal everything for Jesus Christ was moving toward the glory and the culmination of the third day when he would rise physically from the dead. Returning just for a moment to our first vignette, the story of Abraham offering Isaac. The theologian Stephen Dempster teaches out in New Brunswick. He's pointed out that just as Isaac had been the beloved son of Abraham, so Jesus is the beloved son of God. But unlike Isaac, who had been kept in the dark about his father Abraham's plan to sacrifice him, Jesus was not kept in the dark by his father. Jesus knew what would happen to him on the hill called Golgotha. And through the agony of Gethsemane, Jesus submitted willingly to his father's plan. As Isaac had carried wood up the hill to where the sacrifice would happen, so did Jesus. He carried his cross. Isaac had not known, as he carried the wood, who or exactly what would be sacrificed, but Jesus did. Isaac was spared at the last moment in dramatic fashion. Jesus, by contrast, was not spared. According to Romans 8.32, God did not spare His own Son. He did not spare His own Son, His beloved Son with whom He was well pleased. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Amen? Isaac's third day had involved life after near death. Jesus' third day involved life after actual death. The corpse of Jesus Christ was raised physically to life on the third day, and that's what we shout about at Easter. And it's okay to shout. And friends according to 1 Corinthians 15:20 the third day resurrection of Jesus you have to understand is the first fruits <laughs> What happens after first fruits There's second and third and fourth and 29th fruits The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first fruits of a wider harvest of resurrection That is still to happen. If we're believers who die trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we know that that great day is coming when we will scratch through dirt and mud up from the grave to rise with Christ and like Christ. In glorified bodies, where I won't need my progressives anymore, to reunite with our souls for eternity. Amen? Heaven, folks, is physical. We are, we're, not, we're not airy-fairy floating around like the Philadelphia cream cheese commercial. It's physical. Physical. Everything you experience with your five senses is going to be on steroids in the new creation and you will not believe the glory and the pleasure at the right hand of God that you will experience for eternity if you believe. Friends, our own third day is coming. Amen? When the last enemy, death, will be destroyed and done away with forever. The body of the believer that, according to Daniel 12.2, sleeps in the dust of the earth, will awake to everlasting life. Praise God that his promises are absolutely bona fide and 110% true. The pattern in the Old Testament of reversal on day three from death to life was consummated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he has promised us who believe that we will be raised one day from the grave like our Lord. Let's pray in thanksgiving this Easter Sunday. Our Father... All praise, all honor, all glory is due to you. Who is like you, O Lord? Who can raise someone who is physically a corpse back to life everlasting? Only you can do it. We praise you and thank you that Easter is true. That Jesus rose from the dead. That you broke into history and did this miraculous thing that goes against all the rules of science. We praise you that this has happened, that this is out of human control, and we praise you for the promises for us as believers that are attached to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Walk with us in a rich, joyful, triumphant way for the rest of this day and week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.